Welcome to Entrepreneurs Go, a new podcast for SME owners, property developers, and entrepreneurs. In this special series, we talk to a number of inspiring guests on everything you have and haven't considered about running a business, the challenges you could face, the solutions you might need, and anything else you need to know about investing in yourself. Entrepreneurs Go, brought to you by The Letting People, a landlord's best investment. Visit thelettingpeople.org. Start thinking about where you might be going in the future, where you want to get to, how much you can afford to, to save or invest now, what your goals are. That stage is about really understanding that person and exactly their emotional feelings about investments, about this money and what they're trying to achieve with that. When I talk to uh, some small business owners and entrepreneurs, it's clear that they are so engrossed often with the running of their business that they don't find the time to focus and plan on what comes next. If that sounds like you, my guest this week can help. He's a financial advisor who specialises in pensions. We'll be discussing ways in which the right pension can help the growth of your business, the tax advantages of pensions for company owners, and I'll be asking where's best to invest your hard-earned cash. Welcome to my guest from Focus Investment Planning, Tom Rogers. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I no. hope, uh, hope the listeners find it find it interesting. I know it's not the most exciting of, of subjects. but uh, Well, funny you should be... say that, Tom. <laughs> funny you should say that, because when I was a boy at school, you know, I dreamed of uh, playing for Chelsea and being the next Mickey Droy. Um, can I assume <laughs> then that when you were at school, you were, um, you know, you were sitting there dreaming uh, about being a, f- a financial advisor? Doesn't every child, you know, when they grow up, want to spend their life talking about pensions? Of course. Not the dream. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, I, I, like most people, I think, in the financial industry, sort of fell into it, really. Um, I always had a, a good head for numbers growing up, and that sort of dictated that my education went down that, that sort of route, numerical, mathematical sorts of subjects, uh, uh, which led to me sort of going to university and studying economics and finance, and then... Um, yeah, so I decided for a career in, in finance from there, really. Yeah, and, and and tell us about the the company you work uh, with or for is uh, Focus Financial Planning. Give us a bit of a background about um, what you guys do and um, and what I guess why ultimately someone should use you. Yeah, I, I joined Focus uh, in 2015. Um, the most important thing for me, really, when I was looking for for, for a company to to work for was that they were independent and whole of market. So what that means is they can give advice on a whole broad spectrum of different products, um, and they're not sort of tied to any one company. So they, they can give advice for, for any company, any type of investment, all of that kind of thing. When I joined, uh, they were they're specialists in, in later life advice, really, so focusing on um, inheritance tax planning, planning towards long-term care, uh, typically low-risk investment, that type of thing. Um, but my my background, my, my passion, passion isn't too strong a word, and interest was, was always in uh, pensions and investments. So I sort of brought that, that that field to focus, if you like, and uh, I, I, I certainly the, the pensions expert and specialist at, at focus, and I deal with, with that side of, this, of the business there. Okay, so let's talk about let's delve in uh, to pensions because there are many different types of. Uh, pensions i'm going to ask you in a minute just to talk through those um including if you will the probably less the less well-known sas pension which might be particularly relevant to uh, some of the people the entrepreneurs listening to this uh podcast so uh, can you can you do just that can you talk us through the different options available to you with regard to a pension 
Yeah, uh, broadly speaking, they can be sort of separated into into two types, and then the second type there's sort of some some subcategories from there. So, uh, the first type is, is a, what's called a defined benefit pension. So it might sound like a complicated term, but what that means is what's defined about it is what you get out at the end, not what you put in. So with that type of scheme, it's often called a final salary scheme or a career average. In the private sector, it's not it's not all that common anymore. Uh, a lot of them have been closed because they were just too expensive to run. But the way that that sort of pension will work is rather than there being perhaps a pot of money, there is a promise of an income later on. So rather than there being a pension with £100,000 in it, you're entitled to £5,000 a year when you reach age 65. So a very good scheme to be in, but other than the, in the public sector, they're not hugely that common anymore. You then have a defined contribution scheme, which obviously is the opposite. What's defined is what's paid into that scheme, whereas what you get out at the end is the unknown. So that, with that type of scheme, you and perhaps you and your employer might pay in £100 a month, for example, and that pot gradually grows over time and, and, and will be invested. That can then be broken down into a few different types of plans. So at its most simple, you have a, 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 a personal pension, which uh, that can be uh, all, all range of different things, but a, a basic personal pension would be something that is with a well-known pension provider probably and has maybe anywhere between about five and 300 odd investment options that you can put your money into. One version of that would be a group personal pension. That is where you're a company will set up a group pension scheme for you and if you're employed by that company then you and your employer will probably both pay into that scheme and a version of that is a workplace pension and that's come in fairly recently last few years um, and that's with the uh, legislation that's called auto enrollment auto enrollment is the, is the government scheme that says every employer now if you employ people that meet a certain criteria, which, which most employers probably will do, then you must offer a workplace pension to your staff. What I'm getting at the moment is a lot of inquiries from uh, business owners who set up one of these schemes just to meet the rules, if you like. So they had to have a scheme in place by 2017, for example. So what they did is, because they're so busy, they've got so much other business to tend to, with this requirement, they just wanted to get a tick in that box. So they found the easiest route to get that pension scheme set up to, to meet their requirements, but they didn't start it up with the, the best company, with good customer service, good charges, uh, all of that kind of thing. So I'm getting a lot of inquiries from people at the moment saying, that we set this up because we had to, to meet the requirements, but actually our experience now isn't the best. So could you perhaps have a review of what we've got here and, and see whether there might be a, a better scheme than this? So those are the, those are the simple ones. And you then move on to the more advanced, which is a, a, a SIP would be the first one, which is a self-invested personal pension. And that works in a similar way to the others, except it's got far more uh, flexibility over the investment options. Um, so with a SIP, you might be able to invest in probably 3,000-odd funds. Um, so a huge range of different investment options. You can hold individual shares. Um, and you can also invest in commercial property, um, which is fairly niche, but uh, it uh, appeals to some people. And for business owners, it, it may be something uh, you know that, that you can hold your business premises through your pension, rather than having to lease that from someone else or, or buy it with 
with funds from the business. You can use your pension to do that. And then we have uh, the, the SAF, which I know is, is your personal favourite, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, so I certainly, uh, certainly have liked the flexibility because that really can help your, your business, in my experience. Yeah, so uh, SAS stands for a, self, a small self-administered scheme, uh, and this is really targeted at, at the small business owners. So rather than taking out a pension with a pension provider, you're effectively setting up your own pension scheme. So, for example, I could have the Tom Rogers pension scheme. That's, they're not linked to any other company. That's just my own pension scheme that I've set up. I then have to administer that and run that, but it gives you huge flexibility over what you can what you can do with that pension. So you can do all the things that you could do with a SIP. You can invest in funds, in shares, in commercial property, but also with a SAS, you can lend money to your company. So uh, it can be a great way of financing your business by setting up a, a SAS scheme for your business uh, and then borrowing money out of that. And you can also pool the investments as well. So you might have a few of your employees or even a few members of your family, uh, all members of that scheme, and it's all pooled together in, in one pot of money that's then invested for, for their benefit in the future. So a SAS can be flexible, convenient, and it can also be a great way of, of, of funding, funding your business and, and borrowing money for your business. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a key key point because um, certainly I've found, um, of course, it has to be secured. It has to be secured against something. But um, but uh, you know, unlocking the value in that pension uh, can be a game changer for some people and their and their and their and their businesses. I think. Yeah, it's it's a great product for the right person, um, and, and that is really are targeted at the at the business owners and on entrepreneurs. Okay, so you can own your own commercial property, you can loan money back and, and you have various different, um, you know, um, options for investing money elsewhere. I think, um, I think you know, those are the upsides and that's certainly why I would, um, would um, suggest people entrepreneurs take a look at SAS but um, but whilst I've, I, I, I'm a fan I've also been I must say frustrated about how slow and sometimes bureaucratic the management of the scheme can be by the uh, pension administrator um, you know it, it's not very entrepreneurial um, but uh, you know is that fair is that a normal experience um, Tom? Well without wanting to <laughs> infuriate any pension administrators out there those feelings can be can be common, yes. So I mentioned it's a, a self-administered scheme. So it is possible that you can administer your own scheme, you can manage it yourself, but it does, there are requirements over auditing of the scheme and reporting to HMRC every year. So for most people, it's just not practical and not, not worth the time to do that themselves. So they will appoint a, a pensions administrator to manage that for them. And often there will also be a trustee on the scheme as well. Now, in their role as trustee, they have to make sure that any decisions that are made within that pension are done so for the member's benefit, and they're not going to be to their detriment. So they will want to do due diligence on every decision. Now, that can often feel yeah, infuriating, frustrating, at the amount of information that they're going to ask for before you make any decision, which might seem to you a really straightforward decision, clearly a, a good financial uh, decision to make, but the administrators, that they want to see everything. Now, if I'm being kind, I would say they're doing that for the member's benefit, 
They're doing it to make sure that those decisions are absolutely in the members' best interest and trying their best to protect them. If I'm being unkind, I'd say they've got to protect their own back and they've got to make sure that they've got as much documented as possible just in case there's ever a challenge in the future and they say, no, look, we were acting in their best interest because, look, we've got all of this on file and we've, we've, we've checked everything. So it can be slow, it can cause delays, but they are, I hope, trying to do everything in your best interest and, and trying to protect you, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly a clash of cultures, I think, um, was one way I, I put yeah. it. Uh, and uh, But having said that, I think it's important because when people talk to you about, you know, a SAS pension, you hear about all the benefits, but you don't often uh, hear about, um, you know, how slow it can be to actually put some of those benefits into action. So I'm certainly keen to make people aware of that, but it certainly wouldn't rule me out doing it um, again um, in terms of the benefits do outweigh that. I want to talk about tax if we can. Um, and obviously in relation to pensions. Um, now, the government had changed the benefits relating to pensions a number of times over the years. And um, if rumours are to believe, and I, I guess they are, um, that after this pandemic is over, they're going to revisit those benefits again. Um, but, you know, historically and right now, um, there have been some real tax advantages in investing in your pension and um, and particularly for company owners. Um, tell us, tell us, tell us about some of those benefits, Tom. Yeah, uh, uh, pensions can offer a great tax planning vehicle um, for, for lots of different people, but particularly for, for business owners. Um, if we take an example of, of some great taxpayer, let's say a business owner that's a basic great taxpayer, if you wanted £1,000 in your pocket out of the business, then if you're going to pay yourself a salary there, you're going to pay 20% of um, income tax, you're going to pay best part of 14%, employer national insurance and you're going to pay 12% employee national insurance on that money. So to get £1,000 in your pocket, it's going to cost the business just shy of £1,500. If instead you were to pay that £1,000 into a pension, it would only cost £1,000. So the money comes off the company accounts for uh, corporation tax and there is no tax to pay when you pay that into a pension instead of paying it to yourself. Lots of business owners would pay this, would say, well, I don't pay myself salary, I pay uh, dividends perhaps. Even still, you're saving your 19% on corporation tax and you're saving your 7.5% in dividend tax that you would pay. So very, very good tax efficient from that point of view, but also if you assume that the person is a higher rate taxpayer, then those benefits are, are even, even stronger. Whilst the money's then in the pension, uh, it can grow very tax efficiently within there as well. So growth within a within a pension is not subject to capital gains tax or income tax. So the, the pension fund itself can grow free from any tax. And yeah, so overall, it's a very efficient uh, tax planning tool. And of course, Obviously, if you've you got a SAS, you can be putting money into that pension and then almost lending it back to yourself in, in terms of the business or at least 50% of it. So um, yeah. I guess that's as close you, to a win-win as you're going to get as an entrepreneur. Yeah, you, you beat me to it. I was going to say that what you have to do is, is balance all of those tax advantages off with, with the normal problem, which would be you can't access it until you're 55, 60, whenever it might be. But obviously through a SAS, yes, you're able to then borrow that money back through the business. And and let's just talk about some of that because I believe the the annual um, amount that you're allowed to pay into a pension is 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 forty grand currently. There's a lifetime limit. There's a rollover limit. Can you just explain some of that, Tom, as well? 
Yeah, so you have uh, an annual allowance is the, is the maximum amount that you can pay into a pension each year, um, and that's capped at the moment. The lower of your income or 40,000, that's for personal contributions. With employer contributions, it's, it's just the 40,000 a year you can pay in. And you then have lifetime allowance as well, uh, which is a, a small amount above a million pounds. And uh, it, it, you wouldn't want, because of the, the, the charges, that if your pension goes over that size, so if, you've got, if you've got comfortably more than a million in your pension, um, you, you would incur some quite heavy uh, tax charges on that. So it's important to not pay in more than your annual allowance each year. And it's important to keep an eye on the lifetime allowance as well to make sure that you're not straying into the, the areas where the, the tax efficiency that you've got from paying in all of a sudden is offset by huge tax charges when you take it back out again. Cool. Yeah. And of course, if you've got a SAS pension and it's a joint scheme with partners or whatever else, um, there are opportunities there for to making sure that they fully utilise their lifetime allowance as well, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a SAS gives you that flexibility of, of, of yeah family members or business partners um, really mixing and matching who who you're paying that money in for um, to sort of balance out all of those different those different limits and making sure you're staying within them and, and you've got that that tax tax planning and that tax efficiency as concise as you can do. <laughs> so so um, you know moving aside you know um, SASs uh, uh, and look, talking really pensions in general. When someone comes to you um, and they want to invest their pension you've met them for the first time what's the, what's the sort of process you go through and, and why with a with a new client so the, the process it's the same really regardless of, of, of what business it is that i'll, that I'll be doing with a, a new client so the first stage uh, is what's called a fact find so that will be finding out the, the basic details and the financial position of that client so date of birth family situation do you own your property those kind of things um, and then we have the most important part, which is, is understanding that person and their objectives. So under under the objectives, we'd be looking at how do they feel about risk? Um, how much could they potentially afford to lose from their investment without it having a, a, a big impact on them, either emotionally or, or financially having an impact on them? Need to understand sort of the time frame for the investment. Is Are you looking to invest for for five years or for 40 years obviously if it's in a pension then that might that might be uh, dictated by how long until you can actually access it uh, also targets different people have, have different targets some people will say well as long as i'm making a positive return each year i don't really care others will say well, i want to make i want to double the fund in the next 10 years and i don't care what it does in the meantime so it's really that stage is about really understanding that person and exactly their emotional feelings about investment, about this money and what they're trying to achieve with that, because that would obviously then really dictate the next stage, which is trying to find the right product and the right investment mix. OK, so let's talk about that stage now. There's there's loads of uh, different options out there. Um, I'm sure there's a load more than I can think of, but funds, bonds, shares, um, you know, um, and, and, and they all come uh, with their associated jargon, um, I think, um, which can be quite off-putting to potential investors when they sit down with um, with someone like you or with anyone, really, I guess. But um, is it essential for, for someone like me to understand what a, what a PE ratio is or liquidity means? for example I, I, I personally hate jargon um, it might sound silly me saying this having 
spent the last, I don't know, what, 15 minutes talking about SIPs and SASs and defined benefit and all this sort of stuff. But as far as possible within a client meeting, I'll try and keep jargon out of it because it does exactly as you say. It, it does put people off. You know, you could lose people. You, you drop a few words in that somebody doesn't understand and all of a sudden they've glazed over and, and there's no, no getting them back. Obviously, if you do understand the jargon, the ins and outs of finance and investments, then you're going to be in a better position than somebody that doesn't um, because you, you can look at these things, you can understand perhaps company accounts and exactly what you're invested in. But for me, a, a typical client would be somebody that, that doesn't understand those things. So it's not essential unless you're trying to manage your own pot of money. If you're trying to, 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 to manage investments yourself, then yes, I would say it, it, it's important. And obviously, the more knowledge and experience you have, the, the better outcome you're going to get. So so taking that theme, um, let's try and avoid jargon. Bonds, shares, <laughs> funds is a challenge for you. Um, bonds, <laughs> shares and funds. Talk to me about the sort of pros and cons of, of each of those and how they might fit into uh, to an investment strategy or why they might fit into an investment strategy, I guess, as well. Yeah, it, it, it's very much with investments, it's horses for courses. So it depends on what somebody's looking for, whether it might be risk, uh, in terms of high risk, low risk, um, whether they're looking for income, growth, uh, what their tax position is, how diversified they want their portfolio to be. Now, for one person, it might be very rare to find this, but for one person, there might be one share that's the best investment for them. That's a very, very high risk and specified investment plan. And of course, if that company goes bust, then they've lost all of their money. So individual shares, investing in individual shares is a high risk move, but with high risk can come high rewards. So uh, investing purely in shares can be uh, can lead to you know very positive returns, but it can also be very high risk. You then got bonds, which is which can be referred to as fixed interest. They're far less volatile than shares, so that means their price doesn't go up and down as drastically. They tend to pay a steady income, either quarterly, monthly, or annually. Um, and as long as the company doesn't go bust, um, then you should receive that, that, that income. And then you have funds. Funds is what I tend to uh, invest my client money into the, the, uh, more than any other. Um, funds is, it can also be called a collective. Um, and what that means is it pulls together lots and lots of different investments, um, and it can be in one specified area or it can be very, very widespread. So, for example, you could have a UK equity fund, and that fund would invest in a group of UK stocks and shares. The reason that a fund is often good is it gives you that diversification. It spreads the risk uh, and gives you access to lots and lots of different investments all at once. Let's just talk about funds a bit more then, because there are the main differences that, from a layman's point of view, uh, are the terms tracker fund and, and manage fund. And 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 I believe that um, you know manage the managed funds came before the tracker, as it were. And um, explain explain the difference to us, would you? The two the two approaches. Yeah, the the, the best words to use between them is a, a tracker can be considered passive and a managed can be considered active. So what those words describe is, is how much the, the fund manager is, is, is using their skill and their knowledge. So with a tracker, the, the, the investment will just buy everything within that, whatever the tracker's uh, sphere is, if you like. So a tracker, a, U, a UK FTSE 100 tracker 
So FTSE 100 is the top 100 companies in the UK by market uh, by market capital. A FTSE 100 tracker, all that will do is buy a, a share in all of those 100 companies, and it will be allocated to the biggest company will get the biggest share, all the way down to the smallest company. So they don't use any skill in trying to determine which of these companies is going to be the best or the worst. They just buy the whole thing. Or you could buy a, a, a UK all share uh, tracker, and that will invest in every company in the UK, uh, every obviously every public publicly listed company, and it, it won't determine between any different companies which one's going to be better than the other. Because it's not using that skill, because there's not a huge amount of input from the manager, it will tend to be very, very cheap. And it will just follow the market as a whole. So if the market goes up, it will go up. If the market goes down, it will go down. With an active fund, the manager will pick and choose where to invest that money. So you could still have a, a FTSE 100 managed fund, but rather than just investing blindly across the whole of the FTSE 100, they will pick and choose what they think are the best opportunities within that area. So it tends to be a bit more expensive because you're paying for that skill. Um, but the active manager, if they're good, obviously should be able to lead to a better return because by its very nature, with a, with a passive fund, a tracker, they are going to be buying the best companies out there and also the worst companies out there because they're buying everything. Whereas with an active fund, they can hopefully pick and choose the best companies and lead to a better return than just blindly following the market would do. So there lies the therein lies the debate that um, there seems to be, uh, you know, continually at the moment as to what's the best right now to invest in, and 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 people are looking at costs and they're looking at the true return of funds, um, you know, against what they've projected over the last ten years or or, or whatever. And and I read somewhere that um, that uh, between January and September this year, something like seventeen billion pounds has been invested in tracker funds, but during the same period, five billion has been taken out of managed funds. So, so what's your views on on them both, and and what are you recommended at the moment, Tom, to to your clients? I think the the tracker funds. It's hard to argue with the cost and the performance over a long term, over a five to ten year period. That the, their performance has been great, and their charges are so low that I don't. I think there's definitely a place for them in a portfolio. With an active fund, I think, particularly at the moment with such volatility around, I think there's really some some opportunities for a good active manager to pick the right opportunities. If we go back to March, everything dropped. We had the, the pandemic, everything dropped uh, without kind of any discretion over uh, what the company what was, what it was doing and whether it was successful. Everything dropped. Since then, we've had... Some of the market, some areas, perhaps uh, mainly uh, sort of the, the technology, digital companies, have, have boomed back and actually exceeded where they were in March. We then have obviously hospitality, travel, and these sorts of companies that have, have really struggled. So an active manager that could, that could see that coming and that could position, position their portfolio correctly 
could obviously benefit from far better market performance by being in the right places at the right time. You used <laughs> a word uh, in in uh, the last answer to the question that every uh, entrepreneur should zoom into, and that was the word <laughs> opportunity. Uh, and I want to dig a bit deeper into uh, to that because it was in the context of where we are currently in the in the market. And you know, let's talk about the FTSE. Um, it's been dragged down because of Brexit and because of coronavirus. At one point, it was you know 30, 40 percent down. It's recovered recently. I've even had a little dabble in some ITV and some Barclays and some BP shares. Um, but um, but we're you know we're recording this podcast now in November. Um, you know, do you believe there are currently opportunities in in in, in the FTSE going ahead from here? My personal view is that the UK is is undervalued at the moment. Um, and yes, that's Brexit and also um, the pandemic. Oh. You could say, well, the pandemic's affected everyone. It has, but if you look at the UK market, at the US market, sorry, it's heavily weighted towards those big tech companies, whereas the FTSE 100 is made up of a lot of oil companies, financial companies, uh, hospitality, airlines, these kind of businesses that have been really, really heavily hit by the virus. I think we've seen a, a dress rehearsal, if you like, over the last month or so, so since the US election, and then with the, the vaccine news from uh, Pfizer and uh, with the, the Oxford one we've had now as well, um, that's really pushed markets up and it's really had an impact on the FTSE, FTSE 100. Uh, it's, made, it's made huge leaps back towards its, its previous, um, previous levels, but it's still well down on where we were back in February, whereas if you look at the US, pretty much it's, it's back to where it was. Uh, it, it's fully recovered and, and, and then some, uh, whereas the UK still lags behind. I think as we hopefully get better news and more of a recovery, certainly in the medium medium term, I think we're going to see uh, the FTSE 100 hopefully pick back up. But of course, it's it, you know, as I said earlier, it's horses for courses um, and you know, it, it might be suitable for some people, potentially not others. So now, as I mentioned earlier on, for the first time in my life, I've dabbled in a few uh, individual company shares other than my own company, of course. And, um, you know, it's uh, easy to get carried away. Um, I can uh, I can fully understand that. And um, and my mother never gave me a middle name. So I've now adopted the name Warren as a result of uh, my, uh, my five <laughs> share purposes. But um, uh, that that aside, uh, Tom, uh, it's never been easier to invest in in shares. Um, there's this huge growth in the US through the Robin Hood app that I've been reading about. And even here in, 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 in the UK, I mean, you know, my Barclays online banking, I can just pop in and I can buy shares really, really easily um, due to technology available to us. Um, you know, should people like me be dabbling in the market? Is it a fool's game? You know, there are risks and I, I, I you know, I've never been a gambler in life, but actually... I've had a few emotions uh, coming in that, um, you know, that, that, that led me to believe, whoa, slow down here. You know, um, it, 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 is it dangerous? Do, would you advise people to stay, stay away from that? I think there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One is if you, if you can understand it, if you can get to grips with it, if you really understand exactly what you're investing in and, and why you're investing in it, why you think there's an opportunity there, and you're investing for the long term, then then I think absolutely there's no reason not to not to go go for it and, and invest yourself. Um, and you may make mistakes, but even the best experts make mistakes. If you if you're not an expert, if you don't understand really, and it's it's a bit of a gamble, you've got to understand it that it is a bit of a gamble, and you've got to treat it almost as a bet. 
Uh, and you've got to be prepared with that money to think, well, if I lost all of this money, would that impact on me and my lifestyle? And if it would, then it's not the right thing to do. And I'm guessing, you know, over and above pensions, if you're investing, ISAs are probably the best way to, to, to invest if you're going to buy individual shares. Yes, for most people they would be. It's a very tax-efficient um, vehicle, an ISA. So um, holding shares within an ISA means you don't have to pay any dividend tax, you don't have to pay any capital gains tax on any of the growth you get there. So um, an ISA usually is, is the most tax-efficient vehicle and you're able to invest up to £20,000 a year into an ISA. Okay. So now traditionally I've been a, a, a property person. I've invested most of my uh, my um, assets into property and my own businesses. But um, So I've been very pro-property. Um, of late I've um, invested more in the uh, in the stock market. You've invested in some funds on my behalf. But um, but, um, you know, what would you see going forward? Are the, the, you know, the, it's an old argument, isn't it? You know, um, what are the pros and cons as we enter 2021 of property and shares right now? Taking a longer term view, I think there's an argument for both. Property, of course, has far higher barriers to entry. You know, you've got to have quite a bit of money behind you already before you can start to invest into property. Um, but long-term property has provided, you know, strong gains. It can provide an income. The risks there are, of course, if you only invest in one property, for example, then you know all of your wealth might be tied up in that in that one thing. Property prices fall if there's no tenant in there, or if the tenant destroys the property. You've got lots and lots of risks that are attached to that. With shares, if you're investing in a fund, for example, that's well diversified and well spread. You can do that from as little as about a thousand pounds, maybe even less, um, and that gives you access to a wide, wide range of lots of different investments. So, it can be far easier to get into the share side of things than property, and it can be also be easier to spread that risk very well. But I think the common theme that I've mentioned already today is with risk, potentially you also have the, the reward. So you have upside risk and downside risk. We'll have entrepreneurs that are listening to this, and um, and I'm I'm always surprised that quite a few entrepreneurs still have. Uh, let's talk about insurance. Their um, their life insurance um, in their own name now, where um, possibly the best way of doing that, um, if you're an entrepreneur, is to have it through your company. Um, do you agree, or can you explain the the reasons why that might be the case, Tom? Yeah, it's probably more of an accountant's point I'm going to make here um, rather than a financial advisor's. But I think if you ask any decent accountant, most of them will say that it's really a, a, a rule of thumb that if you can pay something, pay for something through your company, it's going to be more tax efficient than paying for it directly yourself. Um, and insurance is one thing that comes under that. And yet you're absolutely right. Life insurance is one of those things if you're a business owner, Rather than taking a personal life insurance policy out, you can take out what's called a relevant life insurance plan. To do that, the premiums are then paid from the business, from the company accounts. Uh, that comes off your profits for your corporation tax. So very, very tax efficient in that way. Um, and you, you pay for your life insurance without having to pay yourself the money first to pay for the premiums. So it can be a, a very tax efficient way of providing life insurance for yourself and potentially for other members of the family if they're involved in running the business as well. Okay. And and over and above the obvious need for life insurance, are there any other insurances that entrepreneurs should be thinking about, small business owners? Yeah, I think so. I think um, one is, it's a bit of a sexist term, but key man insurance. Um, 
key person is probably the better term. If you're if you're a key person in your business, how would the business struggle if you if you weren't there? So if, for example, uh, due to medical reasons, you were unable to go and do your job, what would happen to the business? Now, there's two two things that a key man insurance policy can do, and that is um, cover cover the loss in earnings. Um, that that person, so let's say uh, you as a business person contribute 60000 a year to the business. If you're unable to work due to medical reasons, the insurance policy can pay out perhaps not the full 60000 but certainly make up a shortfall of that so that the business can continue to run until you can return. The other side is that it can provide that money rather than as a replacement of income. It can provide that income so that you can go out and employ somebody else that can do that job for you. So that, that, that income can carry on coming in uh, without that person that's now missing from the business. So you can ensure against a, a key person in the business being off long-term due to sickness. So we, we've um, we've talked about um, the benefits of investing in a pension, but there is, you know, so someone's doing well, there is a lifetime limit. Um, we've talked about ISAs, there is an annual limit to that. Um, you know, what are, one the other options, I mean, I, you know, I hear about the enterprise investment scheme and the tax benefits of that, but um, is that something that uh, if an entrepreneur is looking for, you know, um, if they've exhausted those other more obvious places to invest, is that something that someone should be considering yeah i mean i think you're talking uh you know, fairly fairly niche group of people there but yeah if somebody has, has exhausted all the pension saving options um yes ISA is is, is is the next best thing but if, if they're looking at investing more than the twenty thousand a year that you can get into an isa then yeah enterprise investment schemes are potentially something to consider they are a scheme that's set up for the investment into, it's a benefit that you get for investing into small companies. So by its very nature, it's going to be high risk. So it's not suitable for anybody, for everybody. Sorry, um, but it can it can provide some really good tax tax savings. So it, it's something that you just assess on a, a, a client by client basis. Um, and I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody sort of going into that sort of scheme without taking advice first. You, you know, you, you coming to the end of your entrepreneurial career. Let's paint a picture here. I probably needed to have a back in bed, but I'm not prepared. But anyway, um, you know, you've you've run this business for many years. Um, you've sold it for a good sum. Um, the government's not slashed entrepreneurs' relief any further um, in the meantime, and so uh, you're also looking at a good uh, a good pension pot. Um, so, um, what are your options at that stage? What what do you do, Tom? What do you recommend clients do? How do you help them at that point in 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 their cycle yeah i mean there's, there's lots of things to consider i think first of all as with any pension with anybody that, that's coming up to uh to retirement what you want to do is make sure that the investment stays suitable for, for that person so for a, for a 25 30 year old they've got a long long period of time until they're going to be taking their pension so they can afford some some high risk in there because it doesn't really matter if the fund drops by 50%, they've got a long time to make that back up as markets recover. When you get within one or two years from retiring and you need an income from that money, the last thing you want is to be making huge losses um, and, and finding out that actually that pension can't give you the income that you want. So there are, there are steps to take in, in the lead up to retirement. Um, and there are also important steps that you can take when, when selling a business. Um, for example, if you if you own a small business, then you might benefit from what's called business property relief, um, where whereby passing shares on 
to uh, to your spouse or children uh, maybe uh, benefit from inheritance tax uh, savings. So business property reason it does qualify will mean that you pay no inheritance tax on passing on those shares. So when selling a company, it could be an option to move some of that money that you've realised into other investments that might qualify for, for business property relief so that you can continue to benefit from those inheritance tax savings there. But really, it, with, the, with the pension pot specifically, then what we need to do is, is really decide what do you need from that pension and uh, how best to, uh, to to set that up to be to, to pay you. So is it an income? Is it going to sit there until you need it and take lump sums out? Um, understanding exactly what the pension needs to do for you. So I've come to the end of the pension. There's a there's an opportunity, um, you know, um, so I need some income, but I also, you know, um, thanks to George Osborne, want to take some money out of my uh, my pot. I can take... 25% of my pot and um, does that, that that I believe crystallizes it at that point what, what what how does that work Tom yeah so you have uh, there's two main options really of how you can take money out of your pension um, at the moment we have 25% that is available as a tax-free lump sum now that used to be called tax-free lump sum it's now called the pension commencement lump sum now, the change in name to me suggests that at some point that might not be tax-free anymore. Hmm. Um, but at the moment, it's still the case, 25% of your tax, of your pension is available tax-free. Most people tend to, to, to take that 25%, and with the remaining funds, they can either buy an annuity or they can move it into what's called income drawdown. With an annuity, you buy a guaranteed income for the rest of your life. So for somebody that says, I need this much every month, for the rest of my life and I'll be comfortable and annuity may well suit them the best. For income drawdown you have much more flexibility so the, the, the pension pot stays invested and you can dip into that pot as and when you need to so that might be to take lump sums, it might be uh, an income that you can change month to month, year to year, however often you need to do it um, but you've got far more flexibility over how you draw that money out of your pension. Of course, the downside is if you draw out far too much, far too quickly, and the investment doesn't keep up, you could potentially draw all of your pension pot out uh, and have nothing left, whereas the annuity does offer the guaranteed income, so it's not going to run out at any point, but you have no flexibility over changing it, increasing it, decreasing it, that sort of thing. Now, annuities are something that I have no experience in, but I did read over the weekend that, um, you know, a million pounds invested in, in, in one in 2006 might have given a, a pensioner something like a, a 40, 46 grand um, pension per year. And um, and it's now down to uh, to, to, to 20, something like 27,000. Um, so are, are they are they really worth considering at this stage, at this point in time? Again, it's back to that point that certain products, certain financial products are, are great products for the right people, but also terrible products for the wrong people. An annuity, if, if a guaranteed fixed rate of income is what you need for life, then it's a fantastic product. If you're going to be reliant on that income and you can't afford for that to drop in the future, then, then obviously it gives you that peace of mind that you're going to get that income. You're right, rates drop, and I expect they're going to continue to drop all the while uh, we, we live longer. You know, if you're going to retire at 65, then between now, looking between now and 2006, life expectancy has increased. So that annuity provider is going to have to be paying you that income out for a much longer period. 
and the longer that you're expected to live, the less they're going to pay you in annual income because they're expecting to pay it for a few extra years. So an annuity can be great because it can give you that guaranteed income. But of course, if you if you die fairly young into it, then you're unlikely to get much of a benefit from it. Whereas if you live a long time, then you're gonna you're gonna get you know a, a great amount of guaranteed income for life out of it. So it, it's a good product for the right people. Cool, I understand. So Tom, uh, you've been really generous with your time. I just have one final question um, to summarise. Uh, what would what would you say your three top tips for uh, for anyone who's wanting to increase their wealth uh, through investments? Yeah, good question. I think. Uh, the first point would be start now. Um, that, that doesn't mean necessarily take everything you've got and go and invest in shares. Um, it means start thinking about it now. Start thinking about where you might be going in the future, where you want to get to, how much you can afford to, to save or invest now, what your goals are, those kind of things. Um, Starting now is always the best time to start. Okay, starting a week ago is probably better, <laughs> but the sooner you start, the, the better the outcome's going to be. It's easy to put these sorts of things off, but, but uh, the sooner that you start and you start planning these things, it, it, the better you're going to get at it. And that point two as well is, is plan. I think it follows on from start now, but any good entrepreneur, uh, business owner, when they started their business, they would sit down and they would make a, a business plan. You know, you'd write it, and the more detailed the business plan is, probably the more successful it's going to be. Now, you might get five years down the line and look back at your business plan and think, oh, we've gone in a completely different direction to how we started, but it's a great place to, to start and a great place to, to then grow from. And I think it's great to do that with, with, with wealth planning as well. So sit down and think about, in 10 years, where do I want to get to? Perhaps, what do I want my mortgage to be to be down to? What do I want my ISA value to get up to, or my pension ISA, my pension value to, to to reach? Sit down and make those goals, and think about how you could go about achieving that. What do you need to put away each month to get towards that, and and how feasible is that? And then the, the third point, I would say, you've got two options here. One is read, read books as many books as you can. I think if you look at any successful uh, business owner, entrepreneur, anybody that, that's, that's very, very financially well off, a lot of them will include reading books as a, 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 an important way of, of how they manage to get there. If you don't like reading, then the option two is be lazy. And be lazy means get financial advice from somebody that already has read a lot, already has the understanding, already has the expertise and can guide you to, towards your, your wealth goals um, and has the, the knowledge and understanding to be able to put that together for you. So, Tom, we're going to put your contact details in the show notes, but um, if someone wants to uh, contact you, um, what's, the, what's, the, the, what's the best means? Um, email or a telephone call is, is usually the best. Um, I'm sure you'll put my email address and my mobile number up. Um, those, those are the best two ways of getting hold of me. Um, if you just make initial contact, then I'll give you a call. And uh, usually the, the, first, the first step would be to arrange a meeting with you. first meeting will always be free of charge, and we'll, we'll sit and just go through uh, where you are, what your objectives are, and um, give you an idea of how we might be able to help you achieve those. 
Tom, I really appreciate your time. I'm sure I've certainly learnt um, a lot through uh, talking to you and I'm, I'm sure uh, those people listening hopefully will have done as well. Um, you know, it's refreshing to talk to somebody about um, a pretty complex area and uh, probably the, not the most sexy area of, um, <laughs> of life, no. as we said earlier on. Uh, but uh, but to, to hear from somebody who uh, who breaks it down nice and uh, nice and simply and talks in plain English. So I, I appreciate uh, uh, you doing doing that and, uh, and and continue to do so because it's a real strength um, I believe of yours so uh, but thank you uh, for your time um, and uh, and uh, I wish you well thanks for listening to entrepreneurs go I hope you enjoyed the podcast if you did then please subscribe and do tell a friend if you can spare us a few minutes we'd really appreciate you rating the podcast thanks to our sponsors the letting people they're offering all entrepreneur go listeners three months free when they rent their property via them Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll join us next time around. Entrepreneurs Go, brought to you by The Letting People, a landlord's best investment. Visit thelettingpeople.org.